It is about the division of sacred space, the impact. No, it's not. Scare, scare space. space. <laughs> it is about. What did you say? <laughs> I mean, I guess also sacred space. All space is sacred these days. Friday, April the millionth. Honestly, I just don't even have any idea at this point. This is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Molly Quell, contributing editor at Dutch News and person who is being consumed by bread. And with me today is my fellow contributing editor at Dutch News and person in a questionable state of mental health, Gordon Derrick, as well as an out-of-control photoshopper, Paul Paters. So how are we doing this week, guys? Seems like we're all falling apart. Yeah, I think we've just got massive cabin fever and uh, <laughs> days are blending into nights, nights are blending into... Uh, I don't know, uh, parallel dimensions. I don't know. Uh, everything's just gone to pieces. I don't. I just don't know. Have any idea what what day of the week it is anymore? Well, I I know it's Friday because I'm sitting in my blanket fortress uh, on my desk at seven in the morning. At seven in the morning. So yeah, I I remember what day it is, and especially on the on this moment, I am. Um, I am falling apart. <laughs> yes, well, I've been compensating or, or trying to deal with um, the cabin fever situation by baking a lot. And we now have like more bread in the house than even my Dutch partner can eat. So it's gotten a little out of control. And he informed me yesterday that I have to scale back the amount of loaves of bread I make this weekend. Is your house basically just made of bread now? I gotta stop. I have to find something else. <laughs> the industrial quantities of bread, they're no longer appreciated. Yeah. I have to ask... Am I the only person here who has not made sourdough so far during this lockdown? Because as far as I can see, everyone's doing this. I had sourdough deli- a sourdough starter delivered to me via bicycle, uh, in which which I traded uh, a batch of cookies for. Yeah, we're in, we're in this barter economy now. Gordon, you've been posting some um, concerning photos and videos on Facebook. I'm starting to get a little worried about you. <laughs> to you, if I, I've, you're the first person who's mentioned this kind of association, there, so I don't know. What, I don't know whether that says more about me than about you. I, I, I just did like a silhouette photo, photograph of myself because there's um, when when the sun kind of uh, shines in through my hallway on my stairs, it kind of looks it shines through the banisters, so it looks like kind of prison bar window. So I took a picture of myself looking like I was in prison. But you seem to have a different take on that, so. I don't know. I think it looks like you're about to stab somebody. But then on top of that, like a day or two later, you posted this <laughs> weird video of you like on a cruise boat. Where did that come from? Very, that, that, that's not a particularly um, uh, original idea. Actually, I have to say if other people have done that with like um, pretending they're on pl- pretend they're going away on planes and things. And uh, so this is one where I was, I, I, I was yeah, trying to make it look like I was on a cruise. But actually the cruise was just a YouTube video I'd found of somebody who just literally filmed the view from their cruise balcony for half an hour. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll do something with this so i put that in the background um rigged up a uh, kind of port glass to look like a whiskey glass and then sort of uh, yeah ran with that i don't know it was fun for so you're i'm compensating by baking too much and you're compensating by posting questionable pit- i'm compensating by going by going on cruises by being creative molly he's just being creative paul you've also been entertaining yourself in an image-based format for the last week or so uh, yeah, well, the the uh, as we said, the days are sort of blending together. So when you, when you when I when I read my uh, my job title, I thought, what what is she referring to? And then you told me about the 
the sort of the meme, the the January 2020, April 2020 meme. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's only been a couple of days ago, but it feels like an eternity that I that I posted that. But I, I it went a little bit out of control. Yeah, there was this meme that it did go a little bit out of control. Yes, just a tiny bit. Yeah, like you did, you did about you did about 320 of them. Approximately something something around that. That's true. Yeah, though it's it's a meme where someone posts a photo of something that looks really fresh and really happy uh which is supposed to be january 2020 and then something that's really uh torn down uh, or or depressed and that's then symbolizes april 2020 the state where we are now in so i first tweeted a photo of clown bossy which is a uh, a famous uh, character children's tv character uh together with the joker uh, so you have this clown which looks really happy uh, with a thumbs up and then the Joker from, from the movie who, who is looking really depressed in the mirror to himself. And then I thought, how can I expand this? And then I looked at Dion Graus, the PVV MP, and I thought he kind of looks a bit like André Rieu, the, um, the violist. But then in a uh, April 2020 way, so I tweeted that and, uh, and, and, and from there it all went down because it spiraled <laughs> out of control. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Four hours had gone by. I also tweeted a photo of uh, the the the, um, the Mozart guy from the Amadeus uh, movie, who is who is looking really happy with his with his blonde wig, and then a photo of Geert Wilders next to it. Uh, but the best one was Jeroen Pau and a recent photo of Mick Jagger. That one was the best one, but that wasn't mine. That was someone else. But I I thought that one was the was the best. Um, the best meme. But which way around with those? So you could have that. Could have had that either way around. I think. <laughs> no, 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 no. Jeroen Pau looks looks a lot younger and a lot fresher than well, a recent photo of Mick Jagger. <laughs> yeah, of course. But they have the sort of the same haircut and also the same expression. So yeah, that, that one was really you, on point. I you need to be banned from Twitter. I think Twitter needs to put you in a lockdown for like a week or two, so you can think about what you've done. So, do we have some Ophef this week, Paul? Some non-corona Ophef, maybe? No, it's not non-corona related. Oh, I try. I was hopeful. It's gently corona related, yeah. It's it's a little bit corona related. Um, because the corona crisis did not only force churches to close their doors this Easter, uh, other events were cancelled as well. And, uh, for example, the Easter bonfires, which is a tradition in some part of the Netherlands. They basically uh, set a huge pile of, uh, of wood uh, ablaze and then join together. It's I think it's mostly a tradition in the in the east uh, of the Netherlands. I'm not, not entirely in, sure. In the west, they do it at New Year, isn't it? Well, what is it with Dutch people and setting big piles of wood on fire? Just can't get enough of it. No, it's like a national pastime after snitching. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, but the, the, the Easter bonfires were cancelled as well. So one priest in the Brabant town of Oorschot thought to solve both problems by organizing an Easter light show on Saturday evening. Uh, using some smoke machines and some orange, yellow and red lights, the cancelled nearby East, Easter bonfire was simulated on top of his church's bell tower. The show was scheduled between 8pm and 10pm, but the show had to be shut down when emergency number 112 became overloaded. While festive music sounded from the bell tower, dozens of people living nearby or driving on the nearby motorway called the emergency number to report that the church was on fire. Minutes after the live show started, the priest already got a call from the fire department, which got flooded by reports from people who were reminded of the fire of uh, uh, the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris last year. Uh, he was told to turn off the smoke machine to lessen 
wasn't a fire effect, but an hour later, he was ordered to cancel the whole event. Uh, and even though the light show was organized in cooperation with the municipality and the fire department, and it was announced well in advance in newspapers and on social media, many people apparently did not get the memo. Yeah, it was pretty extreme, wasn't it? And I, I saw one picture from Twitter with somebody to take, had taken a picture of it from, they must have been a good sort of 10 kilometers away. You could see it burning brightly. So yes, he'd absolutely think the church's on fire. And obviously, if you were that far away, you wouldn't have uh, been in the circulation area to get that memo. Yeah. So I I looked at photos and videos of this of this light show and uh, I, I I knew that it was fake. I knew it was a light show, but even then it looked ridiculously like an actual fire. So I I fully understand why people thought uh, this this church tower was on fire. No, and you're not following the local priest on, on Twitter, apparently, yeah, then, then you missed the memo. If the apocalypse were to start anywhere in the Netherlands, I would expect it to be Brabant, and that's uh, pretty much what, it, what I would expect it to look like. So you know, <laughs> maybe we've got a glimpse of, um, yeah, of what's coming. <laughs> the number of COVID-19 patients in intensive care has fallen for five days in a row and now stands at 1,208, which is 200 below the peak of April the 7th. It's one of a number of hopeful signs that the outbreak may have passed its initial peak. New hospital admissions dropped below 200 a day this week and the number of positive tests is around the 1,000 mark even though more people are being tested. Altogether 3,315 hospital patients are known to have died of COVID-19 and more than 28,000 people have tested positive. Of these, 28% work in the healthcare sector where testing has been more concentrated. However, there are still local hotspots in Nordbrabant, Gelderland and Overijssel and the situation in nursing homes is said to be very concerning. There's also been some results from a study of blood donations that suggests around 3% of people may have developed antibodies to the virus. However, it's not known for sure if those people are immune and in any event, it's a long way short of the 60% level we would need uh, for any kind of collective immunity. And what do we know about the coronavirus in nursing homes, Gordon? I've been seeing a lot of headlines about it. Yeah, that picture is gradually emerging. It's still very unclear about the full extent, but the anecdotal evidence is that nursing homes are a real breeding ground for the virus. The RIVM, the Public Health Institute, says coronavirus has been detected in 40% of the nation's 2,500 care homes. And Ninka Neuenhausen, the chair of the Geriatric Care Association, Ferenzo, told MPs this week that deaths in care institutions had increased fivefold in the last two weeks. Yeah, they called it overstaffed, though, which is a really um, uh, uh, yeah, dreadful word, I have to say. But uh, uh, do we know more about the actual number of deaths then? Uh, well, we know that the official numbers are some way short of the real figure. That's partly because, of the, um, as you said, uh, what, what's be, uh, we're, we're discovering um, what's happening in the nursing homes, but also because the CBS, the statistics agency, produce weekly death toll figures just anyway. And their latest numbers showed that in the last week of March, 4,425 people died. And that's against an average of just over 3,000 in the previous three years for the same week. So almost 50% higher. Yikes. Uh, and also well above the most recent weekly peak in March 2018, during the last big flu season, when uh, just under 4,100 people died in the worst week of the outbreak. Now, obviously, not all the extra deaths will be covered. Some people are dying of illnesses they would have survived if there was a hospital bed available for them. And in fact, doctors this week appealed to people with things like heart conditions and other chronic illnesses not to stay away from the surgery if they felt ill because they were scared of contracting corona. They said there are measures in place to make sure the doctor's surgery is safe and uh, you know, you're running a real risk, obviously, if you're a heart patient and you don't go to the doctor. 
And if you compare the, the death toll in the Netherlands with the death toll in Belgium, then um, you see that the toll in Belgium will be much higher than in the Netherlands. But that is because in Belgium they, um, they also uh, account for all the people who they suspect is, uh, uh, has been dying from COVID, rather than in the Netherlands we only count the people who have been diagnosed and then uh, died. Um, very likely that the, that the actual death toll will be much, much closer to, to the Belgian toll. All right, I wasn't I wasn't aware of that. I've got to say, but but even if you just look at the, if you, did you see the chart that the CBS put out this week with the weekly death toll, and it just sort of goes along at a roughly t- typical rate for a com- comparable rate to other years, and then in the last week of March it just goes zooming up. It's like that horrible chart with the U.S. unemployment rate, uh, people who are filing unemployment claims data. It's just off. It's just mad. No, I guess the, 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 I'm assuming there will be an inquiry at the end of you know when everything is uh, when when the outbreak is over and they can actually go around go back and um, and and, and uh, toss up the actual numbers and they're, they're going to be quite frightening, I think. In the four billionth press conference since this hell plague started, both Prime Minister Mark Rutte and Health Minister Hugo de Younga were careful not to raise too many hopes. The door will not be opened immediately, Rutte said. We have to prepare for the new normal of a 1.5 meter society. It is about the division of scarce space, the impact on public transport, and the risk of bumping into each other. Also, the Netherlands is not going down the same road as Germany and Belgium and recommending the use of face masks in the street, Health Minister Hugo de Jonge said. At a time of scarcity, this would not be sensible. There is a shortage of personal protective equipment in the Netherlands, and our experts say that they are most needed in healthcare. This wasn't the only Dutch mask news this week, right? No, the cloned website of a Dutch company has been at the heart of a scam to con hospitals in Germany out of millions of euros, according to the European police agency Europool. Financial institutions and investigations in the Netherlands, Germany, Ireland, and the United Kingdom were involved in foiling the attempt to sell non-existent face masks to hospitals. The scam dates back to mid-March when German health authorities contracted two sales companies in Zurich and Hamburg to procure 15 million euros worth of face masks. The sales firms first got in touch with what appeared to be a legitimate website in Spain selling face masks. Unbeknownst to the buyers, the site was fake and their legitimate email addresses had been compromised. Through email correspondence, the company initially claimed to have 10 million masks only for the delivery to fall through. As consolation, they then referred the buyers to a, quote, trusted dealer in Ireland. The Irish middleman promised to put them in touch with a different supplier, this time in the Netherlands. The buyers initiated a bank transfer to Ireland and prepared for delivery, which involved 52 lorries and a police escort to transport the masks from a warehouse in the Netherlands to the final destination in Germany, Europol said. Just before the delivery date, the buyers were informed that the funds had not been received and that an emergency transfer of 880,000 euros straight to the Dutch supplier was required to secure the merchandise. The buyers sent the wire transfer, but the masks never arrived. The Dutch company existed, but their website had been cloned and there was no official record of the order. The one and a half million euro payment was frozen in Ireland and the Dutch finance ministry investigators tracked down the 880,000 euros. Nearly half a million of those funds had already been sent to the United Kingdom, all of which was destined for an account in Nigeria. Two people in the Netherlands have been arrested and the investigation continues. This really sounds like a very elaborate scam. It's so complicated. When yeah. I was, it's a very sophisticated scam. When yeah. I was writing the script, I was like, okay, I can get this down to like 300 words, right? And then I was like, no, no, I cannot because there's just so many moving parts. But yeah, very elaborate scam, lots of money. 
causing a lot of problems right now in a time when, you know, these face masks are desperately needed by healthcare workers and, and, and that sort of thing. And so, like, instead, hospitals and, and health ministries are running around trying to track down where masks that never existed are and wasting a lot of time and money on this. So, yeah. Yeah, there's been a couple of other kind of smaller scale scams as well, haven't there? I think someone was arrested in a permanent, I think, who'd been, uh, who tried to scam a couple of businessmen in China out of masks just by basically the same thing. He, he asked for an upfront 10% payment for some masks that then never appeared. So a lot of mass scamming going on, I think, uh, on all levels. Yeah, or or people who still have a couple of masks at home or some some hand sanitizers who sell it on on marketplace or on eBay yeah. for ridiculous prices. Th- those that's really on a small scale, of course, but again that th- that's people who are trying to make money from from the from this crisis. I think face masks are a real opportunity for scammers and also because you had the the whole business of the masks that were sent from China to the Netherlands and a couple of other countries that were turned turned out to be uh, substandard, you know, not fit for use in uh, in medical facilities. Yeah, exactly. So uh, do do we know by the way why uh, countries such as Germany are uh, advising people to wear face masks, but in the Netherlands, we still don't have that advice. Do we know why that is? Uh, that is the question that every expert on Twitter has the answer to. Um, <laughs> yes. So the, the argument is that if people are wearing face masks, uh, they are less likely to spread the disease to someone else. It's not about you not getting it because in order to protect yourself from viruses in the air you really have to be wearing one of these perfectly fitted the like n95 masks which most people don't wear perfectly and they're like really hard to get properly fitted so the idea is is that if you are have any sort of mask on and you are outside and you sneeze or whatever it will keep the particle spray of you sneezing from like getting too far away from your face and thus protecting other people what hugo de Jonga said on wednesday at the press conference was that there is an existing shortage of masks in the netherlands that we don't have enough and so the ones that he- are here these sort of surgical masks should be going to healthcare workers because they are the ones who need it the most um and there was also a statistic out this week that 30 percent of the new corona diagnoses are healthcare workers, are people who are working in hospitals and stuff. So we know that this is a big chunk of people. So that was what Hugo de Yaga said. It's a little unclear to me and I think to everybody why there were some questions also asked about this at the press conference, why Germany and Belgium has a supply chain for masks and the Netherlands doesn't. So I don't really know what the answer to that question is. But what I want to know is, I mean, are Germany and Belgium actually issuing face masks or are just telling people to just wear ones that they get pick up from just anywhere because that, that seems to me to be actually a kind of counterproductive measure because you know unless you actually have like you say this is a proper n95 mask i think it is it's you know, the effectiveness is very very low if you have your own kind of home hand stitched face cloth you know unless you're actually sterilizing that every day after you take it off you are potentially not reducing your risk of infection at all you might be increasing it because you know if you do get virus on your mask and then you touch it with your hands and then you put your hands to your mouth then you know you, you just infected yourself and in an interesting uh, bit of history uh so during the 1918 flu pandemic lots of people wore masks and of course they wore these like cloth masks and apparently what killed a lot of people during this pandemic was not the flu itself but bacterial pneumonia and people who were wearing the masks were more likely to get bacterial pneumonia because of course like the bacteria would get into the mask and then like you said they weren't being sterilized properly and then you're just like growing this like sort of bacterial colony right in front of your face and so people were more likely to get bacterial pneumonia and then more likely to die yeah i have to, I have to say i mean i've seen all these videos of people walking around the streets so wearing masks in almost every video you see people touching the front of the mask with their hands which completely destroys any benefit you get from wearing the mask because that's where the, the particles are gathered so yeah i'm, I'm not convinced 
least of the uh, of the case of face masks. Yeah, it's say. it's also worth noting too that like viruses are extremely tiny, and nothing that you have at home, like any cotton material and that kind of stuff. I mean, clothing and this sort of thing, they're designed to be breathable, so it's designed for air to go through it, which means viruses can pass right through these things. Like unless you really have the sort of industrial created filters that exist in like N95 masks, viruses are gonna go through this stuff. So I'm also kind of not convinced about the mask thing, but like you said, Gordon, if you're gonna wear a mask in public to sort of prevent transmission, you need to be being very careful not to touch your face um, and also making sure that that mask is getting like cleaned and disinfected uh, on a regular basis. And also, of course, you still have to keep one and a half meters away from people. I think that's the other argument that Hugo de Jong came up with, which is that it gives people a full sense of security and they might feel that I don't need to keep uh, a meter and a half away from people anymore when you absolutely do. Yeah. And it's kind of it, it, it kind of dilutes the message, and the, the key thing still is keep your distance. Or people feel like, oh, I can go outside because I have a face mask, even though the advice is stay at home as much as possible. Yeah, that's the thing. If, yeah, if you're coughing and spluttering, which is what these these masks are basically there to catch emissions when you droplets. sneeze or you cough. Well, actually, droplets. Then you shouldn't be going out anyway. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. But still, it's weird that a lot of countries in Europe are saying, yeah, you can you can go outside as long as you wear a face mask, and then in lens the advice is is the other way around. Just it is strange so it is strange but yeah we're gonna have to deal with the advice of of the government where we are living i think and we shouldn't look so much to other countries because in essence it's the same stay at home as much as possible but some countries are doing something different on 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 small details but yeah yeah no one knows everything and yeah all comes kind of work it was fumbling in the dark a bit no one's got all the answers so what i sort of don't uh was a bit alarmed by is you see pictures i think it was from spain where somebody who wasn't wearing a mask was like sort of hauled off a, a tram by sort of 10 police officers in uniform you think i don't want to see those kind of scenes in, in in my country yeah i mean and also i mean just to sort of go down this line we all know that the u.s is a terrible police state so there's been a lot of issues there but even in the uk there's been a lot of like information coming out about the police sort of very violently enforcing these like you can't be outside unless you're exercising orders and there's been a lot of like discussions about like oh if you sit down on a park bench now you're violating this and the police are coming by and like harassing people which is you know really you know, creating a lot of problems. So I don't want to live in a police state. And so I think I'm quite happy that we are not sort of experiencing that version of lockdown here in the Netherlands. Yeah, well, luckily our police force is understaffed, so um, they can't enforce <laughs> anything. So yeah, I think that's a blessing in disguise here. Uh, I saw on Twitter a, a thread of someone who was living in, in London, I think, and he was um, going to a park to do some yoga exercises. And then he was very aggressively told by police to to go away because you're not exercising. <laughs> and and his his defense was no i just started yogaing i'm not very good at it so it doesn't look like i'm doing yoga but i was <laughs> <laughs> you could just say you're yeah, nixoning exactly. here you know, yeah, that, yeah, that would yeah. cover you. Uh, but Molly, was there something else discussed in the press conference? Yes, Ritza said that the three key issues that have to be considered before lockdown can be relaxed are the pressure on care services, including regular care, the protection of the elderly and vulnerable people, and the insight into the virus and how it spreads via testing, tracing, and reporting. Hugo de Younga, who also raised the issue of a tracking app at the press conference last week, said that 750 proposals were submitted ahead of a deadline on Tuesday. 750? Yeah. Yes, wow. 
All of those will now be assessed by experts for privacy, security, and the applications. A short list will be published next week so that everybody can give their input. In true Dutch fashion, we're going to ask for everybody's opinion about this. The next press conference is scheduled for April 21st, and that will address what happens on April 28th when the current measures are set to end. Yeah, so that's the more important uh, press conference. The one that we had on Tuesday was uh, Margaret literally said that this is an intermediate press conference. We don't have actually a lot of new stuff to tell you, but we are working towards this uh, April 21st press conference where we can tell you what what will be decided on the intelligent lockdown, which is uh, due to end at April 28th. So do we want to make some predictions, guys? What do we think is going to be said on the 21st of April? I I wonder if uh, if the schools are going to go back. Maybe not all the schools, but in some form. We've seen in other countries, like uh, I think Denmark and Norway now, they sent back primary school children. And I know Jaap van Dissel said uh, at the technical briefing this week that they were going to look at what's happening in Norway and see what effect it has when children go back to school. So I think they're they must be thinking about that. Yeah, I mean, I suspect that we're probably going to see like a slow roll. My feeling is, is that maybe the North will get some some restrictions lifted first um, because there's been so many fewer cases in, in Groningen and stuff. So maybe we're going to see like some lifting of stuff there, though it'll be interesting to see how the country deals with that since there's not really like internal borders between these places. But I wonder if we're not going to see stuff like restaurants can open back up if they ensure that the table space between two tables is a meter and a half and that they have like some sort of protective gear for the serving staff and that kind of things with maybe some adjustments. So I'm, I think we'll probably see some little bits like this, but I don't think anybody should be expecting to like go back to work on the 29th of April. No, no. it's not going to suddenly all open up, is it? And uh, I think the things that are going to be last to unlock are things like public transport and football stadiums and theatres where people are packed in really tight close together. Where you can make arrangements like in a fairly open restaurant where you can make sure tables are kept on one and a half metres apart, then that might be more of a chance. Also things like schools I suppose the north of the country has got very little corona. You could reopen schools in the north because you know children only go to school locally. You don't go to school across a border unless you're in special needs education or something. I really hope the hairdressers open back up because I need a freaking haircut so bad. <laughs> 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 well, given our health minister who could younger, I think the chances are quite high. I think so. His hair two weeks ago was atrocious, and it was much better this week. I think he's sneakily gone to a hairdresser in no, the intervening he, time. He had his wife cut his hair. And he had a whole uh, thing on it on Twitter. He had a Skype conversation with his hairdresser who was instructing his wife how she should cut his hair. And they were sit- there was a photo on Twitter. Uh, they were sitting in the in the kitchen. His daughter was holding the, this tablet with the Skype conversation. She had it in a, in a sort of angle, in a 45 degree angle, so that Hugo de Jong's wife couldn't actually see the iPad, but the camera could. So it was all very staged. But yeah, he, uh, he has his uh, personal hairdresser in the form of his wife. Well, so that haircut happened before the press conference two weeks ago and he looked like a drunken hillbilly with his haircut (laughs) and this week the haircut has improved dramatically and so i think there's something has happened in the intermediate period and i'm not convinced that that thing is his wife went to hairdressing school no 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 and i also suspect mark rutte to have some sort of illegal hairdresser situation yeah he seems very (laughs) neat and trimmed i'm not buying this yeah yeah Yeah. who thought we'd be having bootleg hairdressing in 2000 could convince my hairdresser to come give me an illegal haircut, I would have had an illegal haircut. I just can't deal with it. 
The number of arson attacks on mobile phone masts rose to nine over the holiday weekend. Uh, the fires are thought to have been started by conspiracy theorists who think there is a link between coronavirus and the introduction of 5G services in the Netherlands and may have been inspired by the United Kingdom where a similar attack started a number of weeks ago. One Dutch Facebook group focused on the theory now has 32,000 members according to NRC. The National Counterterrorism Coordinator said on Friday that protests about telecom masks are not new but that this sort of extremist action is a worrying development. We are in close contact with the police and providers and are monitoring the situation, the NCTV said. The Netherlands does not yet have a 5G network, although some tests are taking place. Uh, Paul? Yeah? There is no 5G yet in the Netherlands, so what no. What exactly are people <laughs> doing here? Well, uh, 5G is not active currently in the Netherlands, but a lot of the masks are already put in place. However, uh, a number of the masks that were actually set on fire weren't 5G masks, but some normal telecom masks. And, you know, a fire there can lead to a temporary disruption of communication between emergency services or civilians might not be able to reach emergency service number 112. So, yeah, these people are really putting other people's life in danger, especially in these coronavirus times. You need to be able to contact emergency service numbers or ambulances need to be able to communicate uh, with each other and that's clearly being disrupted right now by these idiots who are putting these masks on fire it's kind of bizarre because you had exactly the same conspiracy with 4g and i seem to remember with 3g as well and it's like we we didn't grow three heads back then and yet so every time a new generation of uh, mobile phones comes around these conspiracies kick up again and people become convinced that this time it's really going to happen it's kind of like you know some of those end of the world theories where the world doesn't end and then people say oh well it'll happen in six months now i mean you don't know that we didn't grow three heads gordon maybe this is why i need a haircut so badly <laughs> <laughs> i uh, i had some fun yesterday morning because i changed my wi-fi name into uh, 5g covid19 test mast <laughs> to scare off some potential um, conspiracy theorist idiots in my building uh, but my house has not been set on fire yet oh, so uh, too bad. not yet not yet yeah give it time Speaking of things being set on fire, let's talk about the economy. (laughs) So guess what, folks? Having everyone locked inside because of a global pandemic turns out to be really bad for the economy. The Dutch economy will shrink by 7.5% this year before recovering in 2021, the International Monetary Fund said on Tuesday in what it called, quote, very uncertain economic forecasts. Coronavirus will lead to the, quote, worst economic downturn since the Great Depression, the IMF said, with global growth in 2020 predicted to fall by 3%. The IMF says in its new World Economic Outlook that the Dutch economy will grow again by 3% in 2021, while unemployment, which is currently at 3.4%, will almost double to 6.5% by the end of this year. At the end of March, the government's macroeconomic think tank, Sepe Bay, said the coronavirus could plunge the Dutch economy into a deep depression with GDP declining by up to 7.7%. And uh, is that the only depressing news? Uh, No, of course not. Two in five freelancers say they will be able to last a year without any source of income because they have built up sufficient reserves or their partner has an income. That's according to new research by National Statistics Agency, CBS, and the Teano Research Institute. Of course, that means three in five cannot do that. But people working in hospitality, the taxi drivers, sports instructors, hairdressers, and visual artists are the ones with the fewest reserves and the most likely to be in financial trouble. In total, one in five self-employed say they can survive for less than three months, and 16% have no idea how long they can manage without a source of income. Is there any other uh, encouraging news? 
Hotelwebsitebooking.com, until recently one of the most profitable companies in the Netherlands, has asked for government support as the number of bookings plunges to 15% of those a year ago. The company has asked for help to pay some 5,500 workers in the Netherlands, and 48 customer service staff who are still in their probationary period have been let go as the impact of coronavirus on tourism continues to bite. Yeah, and it's really um, ironic that Booking.com is now uh, asking their government uh, for a bailout because they have been affording to pay taxes for a couple of years now, hundreds of millions of euros they were exempt from paying taxes. So yeah, it's, it's kind of ironic. But on the other hand, imagine how much uh, government support they would need if they uh, did have paid their taxes. So And of course, there'd be more government support available because they would have paid their taxes. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it all comes around. <laughs> it all comes around, yeah. <laughs> and I also saw a video of some of the uh, world-famous Dutch tulip growers who, what did they do? They cut off all the tulips because uh, sort of to avoid people from coming to the tulip fields and taking photos uh, there. Wasn't yeah. it something like that? But they always do that, don't they? They, they? they always cut the heads off the tulips. They're just doing it a bit earlier this year because they're not going to sell them anyway. And uh, it uh, deters uh, people who were, who were going up to the bell fields last weekend, uh, gawping at them. I mean, folks, the tulips are going to be there next year. Stay in your freaking house. This is like not a thing that is worth getting coronavirus over. Or, or just look at pictures of last year's tulips. Yeah, they're very similar. They all look the same. It's just like rows of tulips. Like it looks exactly the same as like all of the shots that you have seen for the last years that you have been living in this country. Please stop leaving the house. If you're looking for things to spend your Fakantikelt on, now that King's Day flea markets have been cancelled, why not back us on Patreon? Bringing this podcast to you from our blanket fortresses is a labour of love, but it also costs us time and money and keeps us away from our loved ones, especially Truby, so we really appreciate your contributions. We'll give all new patrons a shout-out on the podcast and let you ask us a question about any subject under the sun, although we reserve the right to give a tangential or frivolous answer. If you want to support us with your hard-earned beans, go to patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. Sports news, or rather lack of sports news. With all the major summer sporting events cancelled or postponed, and the chances of the football league season being completed receding fast, people have been turning to indoor sports. Thirteen racing cyclists, mostly from the Netherlands and Belgium, took part in a virtual tour of Flanders that was broadcast live on Belgian TV. The cyclists mounted exercise bikes in their living rooms and competed in a computer simulation of the last 32 kilometres of the race. There was also live commentary on NPO Radio 1, complete with recordings of cheering crowds and honking car horns. That sounds like the boring, <laughs> most boring thing ever, I have to say. <laughs> I got kind of uh, vaguely intrigued. I didn't. I actually missed something. This is about a week ago. I missed out on it at the time. I might actually go back and listen to it. Intrigued by boredom. Yeah, well, just how you make boredom sort of sound like actual sport. It's kind of, mm, uh, you know... Yeah. Uh, Paul, you know what Gordon has been spending his time doing. We talked about it at the time. This is an improvement. This frankly. is very similar, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, parallels. Yeah, I agree, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> this might be my next challenge, if I can sort of pretend to win the Tour de France in my living room. You're going to have to buy some uh, a jigsaw puzzle first. <laughs> yeah, yeah this is it. if I swallow a whole jigsaw puzzle, then yeah. uh, I might be able to do it. Congratulations anyway to Greg Afermat, who won the race. Uh, he's Belgian, uh, but he missed out on the traditional podium celebration. Or at least I think he did. But if there was one sport that you would back to keep going through a nuclear holocaust, it is, of course, darts. And so, <laughs> this weekend, the virtual PDC Home Tour begins. The 128 top-ranked players in the professional darts circuit have all been invited to take part in the living rooms. That includes 19 Dutchmen, one of whom, Jan Bakker, will take on Dave Chisnell in the first match on Sunday. Bakker is ranked 58th in the world and said, Darts has been on the back burner for me, I need to kick up the backside, and this is a good way to do it. 
Jermaine, oh it's a very Dutch, uh, direct Dutch quote, that, it's isn't it? It's very yeah. Dutch. Uh, Jermaine Vatemena, who's ranked 24th, also said the tournament gave him a much-needed focus. However, world number one, Michael van Gerven, isn't taking part. He said he didn't have a professional setup at home because his wife, children and dogs are all running around and that makes it hard to focus on the dartboard. However, world champion Peter Wright from Scotland is among the contenders, so uh, yeah, it is going to be a for fairly uh, decent contest. So that's something maybe to, to one of the rare bits of live sport you can actually tune into uh, in the next couple yeah, of weeks. If there is one sport which can be easily done from home, yeah. then I think it would be darts. Yeah, so it makes sense. Yeah, exactly. This is some piece of uh, of Scottish prize you can uh, Absolutely. look forward to. Right? Totally. There, there are very few straws to clutch on in, in that sense, so I'm hanging on to what? that one. I want to know how the world's number one dart player does not have a professional setup. Because he's got a wife and children. This is, welcome to family life, you know. Yeah, I've, but I've come on. I mean, like, you don't have a spare bedroom? Like, yeah, but you, you, people still, yeah, yeah. But if you have to, if you have children, you would know that saying "keep out this room" is just a green light to come constantly come in and out of the room. And if <laughs> and if you're throwing some sharp things yeah. to a board, then you don't want to do that around children, of course. I find it hard to believe that the other 128 players participating in this also do not have children. <laughs> Dutch political parties 50 plus and Denk are both embroiled in internal disputes about the way the parties are being run. Pensioner Parties 50 Plus, which has four MPs in the 150-seat lower house of parliament, is being torn apart by a disagreement with its chairman, Geert Dallas. Three of the four MPs on Tuesday issued a press release saying they had no confidence in Dallas, describing him as autocratic and calling him to quit. But the move was not supported by party leader Hank Kroll, who also suggested Dallas became an MP after the March 2021 general election. The three MPs now have reportedly agreed to rally behind Kroll, and say it is up to the members to decide in a transparent way what should happen. And this isn't the first kind of uh, internal spat they've had in 50 plus, is it? No, I think uh, th- there are some guarantees in life. One is we will all die, and the second is there will be a fight in 50 plus uh, <laughs> sooner or later. Uh, I think Hank Wall's party has seen countless of internal fights yeah. ever since it was founded in 2009 it's kind of hard to keep track of them but, yeah in fact uh, they, could, is... they could probably cancel the sports bulletin and just have rolling news of uh, internal <laughs> spats in 50 plus couldn't they hank rolling <laughs> news yeah um but there is one notable example uh, from 2016 because then parliamentary leader norbert klein who had succeeded hank Cole, who had to resign after a pension scandal uh kicked out his fellow mp out of the party without consulting party leadership first the party leadership disagreed with the move and instead expelled Klein from the party, who then refused to resign his parliamentary leadership. He later decided to split from the party and go on as an independent MP rather than giving back his seat to the party. So interestingly, because he was parliamentary leader, he had the right to maintain his former faction's name. And that meant that there were not one, but two 50-plus <laughs> parties in the Tweede Kamer. That's one of the most oh ridiculous 50-plus yeah. stories there are. <laughs> um, yeah. Who would have imagined but, that a party made up of grumpy old men would end up falling out <laughs> with each other? Huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But ever since then, the, 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 the party had been embroiled in continuous fighting. And then this Geert Dallas guy was called in as the chair to sort of uh, resolve all, all fights, to sort of bring back the, the party into, into, into some quieter waters. And he did a very good job about that. And he did such 
such a good job that Hank Kroll suggested that he would he should become an MP for mm-hmm. the party. But then the other f- three MPs of, of 50 plus said, no, we really don't want that because we actually don't like the guy. And then they started to um, yeah revolt basically uh, 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 against the party leadership. So yeah, it's it's another ridiculous episode in the 50 plus. Um, And uh, tell us about the other political scandal so I can uh, eat some crow for comments that I've made in a previous podcast about it. Mm. Yeah, meanwhile, Denk, uh, which was formed by two Dutch-Turkish Labour MPs after they were expelled from the PvdA, is also grappling with internal problems. Parliamentary party leader Farid Azarkan told a television talk show on Tuesday evening he fears the party will collapse unless changes are made. Denk has currently three MPs in Parliament. One of the two founders, Tunahun Kuzu, announced several weeks ago that he is leaving politics because of the impact on his family life. But it emerged later he had been having an affair. Which and, also uh, impacted on his family life, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> true. Yeah, well, he wasn't lying when he said no. that his family life no. was going out. He was being truthful. Was being yeah. truthful. Yeah. Just, yeah. just not giving yeah. you the full picture. Exactly. <laughs> uh, fellows founder Selzuk Erstok is thought by some to have used this to pressure Kuzu to quit and sort of step uh, uh, step into the new leadership role. Uh, and that led to Kuzu accusing him of blackmail. Uh, I think the party is in such trouble that its future is in doubt. Azarkan, which is the number three of the guy and who is basically um, uh, not involved in, 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 the, in, the, in the whole scandal. Uh, but he is the new leader now and he fears that the party's uh, future is seriously in doubt. And the only solution is that the board uh, is resigning, he said, and only can improve the situation. Uh, Öztürk has the key in hand, he said. Yeah, so... I had said a couple of weeks ago, like, I felt kind of bad for the guy, even though Kuzu is a jerk and has been a jerk, um, because he had sort of implied that part of the reason that he was stepping down is that the vitriol and the hatred sort of surrounding Dank had been, like, very damaging to his family, which is probably true. But I suspect what is most damaging to his family is him having a fucking affair, so... The district court in The Hague rejected a case on Friday that it sought to allow women in the country to receive medication to induce an abortion by mail. Under Dutch law, women must take the first pill in front of a doctor at an abortion clinic, but the entire country is under lockdown to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. The reasoning for the rejection is unclear. The ruling came in the form of an abbreviated judgment, and the court did not immediately respond to a request for comment as to why the full judgment scheduled for release on Tuesday was delayed until April 20th. Bureau Clara Wichtman, a legal rights organization focusing on the rights of women, brought the complaint on behalf of a Dutch woman identified in court documents as Trix. Trix, a single mother whose child has exhibited COVID-19 symptoms, wants to terminate a pregnancy. But because someone in her household has had the coronavirus, or may have had the coronavirus, she is not supposed to leave the Mm. house. During COVID measures, exceptions could be made, Lita Burke, a legal advisor for Bureau Clara Wichtman, said. The organization asked the court to prohibit the judiciary from enforcing the provision of the abortion law that criminalizes doctors outside of abortion clinics from prescribing the medication. Have these groups asked for any assistance from the health minister? Yes, uh, the Bureau Clara Wichtman contacted the Delft Ministry of Health, which oversees abortion clinics, to request that adjustments to the procedure be made. The ministry said that abortion clinics will remain open and that delivering pills by mail is, quote, not appropriate. Other countries, including England and Scotland, have done away with the requirement that women physically appear in clinics for a medication abortion and are allowing to have the medication delivered to their homes following a telemedical consultation. Liliana Plumon, Member of Parliament, uh, who founded the She Decides campaign 
uh, which fights for women's autonomy, said in a comment on Instagram that, that she had posed questions about the case to Health Minister Hugo de Younga. Uh, the case has not yet been settled, she wrote. Right, so just to clarify, because it's quite technical, um, the law says basically abortions can only be performed in a clinical setting by a doctor, right? No. Uh, the law says that if you're going to have what is called a medication yeah. abortion, so basically you're going to take a pill that, or a series of pills that that induces the body to have a miscarriage, um, which can be done, I think, up until nine or ten weeks in the Netherlands, you have to first go to the clinic and have a face-to-face appointment. Then you have to go home mm-hmm. and think about it for five days. Then you have to come back to the clinic and take the first pill in front of the doctor. And then you go home and take the four subsequent pills. Um and of course, you have the abortion at home because you're not having the 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 first pill isn't enough to just induce an abortion on its own. Um, so it is slightly frustrating, I think, for people to say that like you have to still mm. be able to go in person, considering that like this there's nothing really happening of of yeah. you know significance at the clinic other than you just like taking the first pill and the subsequent four pills you're taking yeah. at home anyway i mean that's the normal procedure so so you could do it by teleconferencing basically there's no actual physical intervention yeah that's what the that's yeah. what they've been arguing is is that they should have oh. to do it this way yeah yeah but the court didn't agree okay So, jigsaw puzzles, uh, one of the many misguided ways people are trying to alleviate the boredom of lockdown. Have we been, have we been doing any jigsaw no, puzzles in the last couple yes. of weeks? Yeah, me too, I have to say. No, uh, me and my kids have managed one. Uh, but but one grandmother from Niedorp, uh, up in North Holland, opened a can of worms when she dusted down a box that had been sitting in her garage for four years. The Planes 2 puzzle, which is already a bit of a mystery because it had been delivered to her door anonymously four years ago and she just (laughs) stashed it away and forgot about it. But when she opened it up, she was surprised to discover not pictures of Disney planes getting high, but 530 (laughs) ecstasy tablets. How how did she know? Did she count? The 530 tablets? Uh, somebody did. I don't know if she did. I guess if you, t- if you took the first one, you'd lose count quite fast, yeah. but I don't know. Especially if you're our Anyways. grandmother from Nydorp. <laughs> exactly. Uh, local policeman Bus Dirk Mart uh, said the incident was being investigated. <laughs> yeah, I'm and, sure. Uh, that, I'm sh- that, that, that's all the news I have for you on that. <laughs> I'm sure it's being investigated. Yeah, but there's sort of these bright orange pills that are in the box. But uh, yeah, it's uh, kind of a bit of a mystery. But it's kind of bizarre that she, she just got this parcel and it wasn't for her, it wasn't for her neighbours. She asked around and said, you know, is it for you? And so everyone said no. And then she just kind of uh, thought no more of it and put it away. I don't know. I mean, I guess... Destroy it, put it into... It's a good job she, did, it's good job she didn't uh, bring it out on the uh, on the Koningstag flea market. Yeah, maybe. that could have gotten very uncomfortable <laughs> for some, you know, six-year-old yeah. child that bought it for five cents <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can now also back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. My thanks to Gordon Derrick and Paul Paters. I'm Molly Quell, and we'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.